Thank you. Right. Do you want me to read the scripture? or do you... Can we put the scripture up? All this... This is the bit that's gone before about new creations and all that stuff. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not count, counting men's and women's sins against them. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Lord, would you... Um, Anoint Wendy right now, release her to speak truth into our hearts and release us to receive that. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> yeah, can we just keep that up actually? That'd be really helpful. Thank you. I know Laurie just said what all this is, but I think because the very first phrase of the passage this morning is all this, we probably do need to just make sure we understand what all the all this refers to. If you if you remember back a couple of weeks ago, Jared spoke to us about the fact we're new creations and what that means, and that's the bit that precedes this passage. And I think that all this, what Paul is referring to, is all that was accomplished on that very first Easter. The sacrifice, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, and the difference that that makes to us. That's what the all this is. And the fact that we have now been reconciled to God. The title I've been given this morning is the Ministry of Reconciliation. And I think we're quite familiar with the, the passage, this passage from 2 Corinthians. How often do we quote that we're new creations, the old has gone, the new has come? It, it's kind of one of those phrases that we know and it sort of rolls off the tongue. And I think... <laughs> I know this sounds a bit weird, but I think we also get almost overly familiar with our, the fact of our own salvation. Do, do you know what I mean? We, I, so that we take it for granted, and I don't want ever to do that. And I think we can sometimes, maybe it's just me, but I think sometimes we can actually lose sight of the magnitude of what's actually changed when we're born again. Because it's huge. It's huge. And, and Paul is very clear in this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He says that those of us who have been reconciled to God should no longer live for ourselves, but for God. That is an extraordinarily challenging question. And I ask it of myself and I think, can I honestly say that I'm no longer living for me? And the answer is no, I can't honestly say that, that I'm no longer living for me. It's, this, is, this is big stuff. I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever been in trouble? <laughs> so, variety of responses. <laughs> this, this might not be a very good example, but back in February, Laurie gave me a lift to Heathrow Airport, and I just kind of hopped out of the car in the drop-off zone. And it wasn't intentional, but we didn't pay to use the drop-off zone <laughs> because we kind of didn't know that we had to. There obviously were signs up, but we clearly didn't take much notice. And then a week or so later, we got, um, we got a much bigger bill through the post because we hadn't paid. And there's this, oh, this whole 
automatic number plate recognition thing and you have to pay online when you go home. Because we didn't see a machine and we didn't really know that it had changed because last time we went you didn't have to pay, we didn't pay the bill. And therefore it wasn't just paying to drop off, it was the fine for not having paid to drop off. Now how lovely would it have been if that debt had just been wiped, wiped away, if it had been cancelled? But that's not how it works. We, we made a mistake and we had to pay the cost. Now that's a, a very arbitrary, very silly little example of being in trouble. But, but when a, a criminal act is committed and the culprit's convicted, there is always a price to pay. It's how things work. Whether that's a fine or a prison sentence or whatever it is. There's a punishment, there's a cost. And the thing is, it's the same with God. He's a holy and just and righteous God. And there is a price to pay for our wrongdoing, for our sin. And that's what I mean when I say sometimes we can take it for granted, what he's done for us. And because of our sin, prior to the cross and prior to our salvation, our relationship with him is, is broken. And we all know that. And yet Paul is able to write that God has reconciled him to himself. So that's what I want to look at this morning, what that reconciliation is all about. What does reconciliation mean? How does God do it? How can a just and holy God reconcile to him those who are genuinely guilty of sinning against him? And therefore those who are estranged from him. How, how does he wipe the slate clean? And we're mistaken if we think he just kind of sweeps it under the carpet and says it doesn't matter. That's, that's not what happens. That's not what reconciliation is. There is a cost. There's a price to pay. There has to be. A price to pay to heal the rift between us and God. And when we recognise that it is God who's the injured party in the broken relationship because of our sin, it is all the more extraordinary that it's him that makes the first move. As, as human beings, we're not very good at doing that, generally speaking. We're not very good at making the first move, especially if we are the injured party. And over the years, I'm sure you can all think of people, we've come across so many people, friends and family, where relationships end up being broken, where one side of a family is alienated from another side of the family, and the two don't talk anymore or where two people who were once friends no longer speak to each other because there's been some offence, and the relationship just gets broken and torn apart. And so many times, the, the injured party will continue to refuse the olive branch when it's extended to them because the offence goes deep, and they're like, how can I forgive that? And they prefer to remain angry. They prefer to remain unforgiving. They prefer the estrangement to the reconciliation. We can be so broken and messed up. And that's all of us. But God isn't like that. God loves us. And he so longs for reconciliation with his children that he was willing to take our punishment. That's what this is about. And he paid the cost for our sin. Now, I know we know this, and I know that this isn't news, but I think what struck me as I've been praying into this this week is how much I lose sight of the cost of that for him. And I really don't want to take it for granted. 
I don't ever want to take it for granted. I don't want to lose sight of what God did by sending Jesus in my place to be crucified so that I could be reconciled with him. To, to willingly take the punishment that should be mine. To die instead of me so that my relationship and your relationship with God could be restored. It's huge. It is the most extraordinary act of love. Especially when you consider that God sees our hearts, you know? He sees our thoughts, he sees our motives and our intentions, not, not just our actions and behaviours. And our hearts are not pure. Well, mine isn't. Not really. How does he do it? He does it by transferring our sins onto Jesus. That's how reconciliation comes. Jesus, the one who had no sin at all, literally became sin for us. And when I think about that, honestly, it breaks my heart. The impact of that is so huge. It's why he had to die. He was counted as guilty, even though he was innocent, so that we can go free. It's just enormous, and it's beautiful. Our unrighteousness swapped for the righteousness of Jesus. And the price that God paid for us to be reconciled to him so that we can go free is its so shocking, actually. It's shocking, and it's almost incomprehensible to our human way of thinking. Because we deserve punishment. None of us live perfect and holy lives. But you and I can stand in the presence of God, right here, right now, made perfect in his sight. How beautiful is that? And so, for me, as I've been thinking about this this week, the enormity of this really, really does beg the question, how do we now live differently because of that? Because we should be living differently because of that. What, is it, what does it mean to no longer live for ourselves? What does that actually mean? And what does it mean that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation? We're not going to be perfect this side of heaven, in actual fact. But can others see the evidence of our salvation in the way that we live? When they look at our lives, do we stand apart from the rest of the world? Do we daily allow Jesus to be Lord of every part of our lives? Do we allow him to change our priorities? These are, these are big questions. And I'm really challenged by them. Is he Lord of everything? Or are we more concerned to random examples to make sure we get our kids into the best school or make sure we qualify for a promotion at work or make sure we earn enough to buy a bigger house or a better car or make sure we can go on holiday to the optimum destination or are we choosing to be obedient even if it means putting all of those things aside or whatever things apply in our circumstances and sometimes Putting Jesus first and living for God and not for us means making big sacrifices. And I need to, I need to ask this of myself too. 
This is not a pointing finger thing. This is, Lord, show us what it looks like to live for you and not for ourselves. Because this is life and death stuff. Not just for us, but for the world around us. It's a matter of life and death. Literally nothing is more important. And so that's why living for God has to be our highest priority. Verse 18, in the Amplified Version, the Amplified Bible says, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example we might bring others to him. So what sort of example are we to the people that look at our lives? My, my kids, our kids used to do a thing at school when they were in primary school called show and tell. <laughs> There's lots of nodding. I guess that's a, it's a thing everywhere. And it's fairly self-explanatory that you bring something in and you show the rest of your class what it is and you tell them all about it. But actually, we need to be living examples of show and tell of Jesus. That's what it's about. The sacrifice of Jesus is all-inclusive. He died for the whole world. But people are only going to respond to him and put their trust in him if we show and tell them. We've got to be living show-and-tell examples. Because everyone needs to hear the message. Everyone needs to know that Jesus died for them and paid the price for, for their sin. And whether or not we feel ready to be show-and-tell, or we, we, we're willing to do so, is kind of irrelevant because we're just told to do it. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation so that by our example, we might bring others to him. It's a responsibility that we all have. It doesn't mean we're all called to be major evangelists. Some of us, like, like me, some of us are naturally quiet and naturally introvert. Some of us don't have a dramatic testimony. But it doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play. I remember years and years ago, Laurie and I went to lead, help lead a school Christian union weekend away for some sixth formers. And um, we weren't actually that much older than them at the time. And I do remember going thinking, I've got nothing to say. What can I do? And was really scared about speaking. I thought my testimony is not that dramatic. In fact, it's so undramatic, I didn't even really understand that I'd become a Christian because it was in the quiet of my own room and I didn't feel any different. But I did actually tell my story and there was a girl on the weekend away who totally and utterly identified with what I was saying because my story was the same as her story. And she gave her life to the Lord just because I told, told her how it was. And it's beautiful. God uses us and our testimony, our show and tell, if you like, in the right place with the right people. And it doesn't matter if there's only one person who identifies with your story at that moment. There's nothing more beautiful and amazing than someone giving their life to Jesus. And do you know what? It's actually, our responsibility is to be show and tell, but it's the Holy Spirit that convicts. It's Jesus that saves. You know, it doesn't, this is not a heavy, weighty responsibility. What God wants of us is to be willing to be authentic and to love others enough to give them an opportunity to decide for themselves. 
I remember a friend a few years ago, a Christian friend, who said, oh, I just, I can't tell them. She had a lot on Christian friends. I just can't tell them because I don't, I don't want to lose my friendships with them. And the challenge is, do we love people enough to risk that? Because this is more important. And if we can see, see that, see the, the show and tell thing as a joy and a privilege, it will change our outlook. It doesn't have to be a kind of scary, huge burden. It is a joy and a privilege. Because it's not just talking about Jesus. Being given the ministry of reconciliation means that the power of forgiveness that we carry within us is so extraordinary that it can change someone's life in a moment through a simple conversation, a simple act. When we're wronged or if someone offends us, Regardless of whether it's deliberate or unintentional, we have a choice in that moment to forgive them and to let go of the offence or to hold on to it. What would Jesus do? He was unoffendable. It's, it's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but that is what the Ministry of Reconciliation looks like. It is choosing not to take offence or even if we do take offence in the moment to deal with it quickly with Jesus the Bible says doesn't it do not let the sun go down on your anger don't hold on to it and by forgiving others whether or not they deserve it whether or not other people think we are complete idiots for doing so and that will happen that's what leads other people to God that's how we're called to live for God and not for ourselves. That's what it looks like to be different. Because the world around us doesn't understand forgiveness. The world around us really understands condemnation and animosity and retribution and all of that kind of stuff. So the temptation for us to stand in those things, to stand in condemnation, to stand in hatred and and all of that will be huge. The temptation to not forgive will be huge when we've been wronged and we're really hurt. But the more we choose to walk in forgiveness and activate the ministry of reconciliation, I honestly believe that the more unoffendable we become, you kind of almost practice it. <laughs> um, and it's possible, it was possible for Jesus. He was mocked, criticised, and way, way worse. And he remained unoffendable. And in everything, Jesus is our model. If he could do it, and he's given us what we need to live like him, then the reality is we can do it. Regardless of our feelings, that's where it gets difficult. Our emotions will say you can't do that. But we have a choice. We have a daily choice. And it's hard. It's hard. I know it is. There's a, there's, there's a particular person, it doesn't matter who it is, who has caused me some angst over the last few months. And actually, I have to choose to forgive them, probably on a daily basis at the moment. But we're still called to do it. It's not me this time. <laughs> it's, no, it's no one here. Don't panic. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha!
Yeah, no, it's not our lodgers either. <laughs> and whether or not this sounds impossible for you, the reality is Jesus has made it possible. It's not pie in the sky, you know. He has, by his death and resurrection, eliminated every possible excuse we could have to remain unforgiving. He's taken our sin and our depravity, our fleshly nature, and nailed it to the cross. All of it. While we were still sinners. While we were still sinners, he did that. And people around us are desperately hungry for God. Even though that hunger may be suppressed and invisible, even though the world doesn't know it's hungry, it is. It is. And some will respond to God and others won't. But that cannot stop us from doing the show and tell. <laughs> because there is nothing more exciting than seeing someone born again. It, there really isn't. Um, I listened to someone else, Jared, speaking on this passage <laughs> earlier this week. And one of the things that that he said that really struck me was that if, if we're finding this too hard, we should start by looking in the mirror. Do you remember saying that? And it, it really resonated with me because when God looks at us, he doesn't see our old self, our flesh self, the, the self that struggles and rebels. When God looks at us, he sees our eternal self. He sees our original design. So have a practice, look in the mirror and say, this is who God sees. Activate your original design. Most of you have had that kind of revelation through other people of how God made you, how God sees you. So don't look at yourself through the eyes of the world, through your fleshly eyes. See who you are in God. And when we can see who we are in God, it opens up a whole new realm of possibilities. Because we're not doing this by our own striving and our fleshly nature. We're doing this by the Holy Spirit who lives in us and with our eternal being, our original design. Back in verse 16, this is the bit that we, we heard about two weeks ago, Paul actually writes, so from now on we regard no one from a worldly point of view. That's what he means. When we know who we are in Christ, it opens up a whole new realm of possibility. When we're operating in our original design. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with a question. And that is, is there anyone that you need to forgive? Is there anyone that you need to reconcile with? Is there a phone call that you need to make this afternoon? It might not make any difference to them right now, but we don't know the eternal consequences of our actions when we make choices like that. And so that is the challenge. Walking, being a living example of the ministry of reconciliation. And we just don't know the impact that that might have for somebody else today. Amen.